this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. We are in week number two of this exciting series we're doing called I'll Do It Tomorrow. Get off my back, Jack, right? Like, that's what we want to say. Like, I'll do it tomorrow. Just leave me alone. Uh, but I do like the subtitle. It's not leave me alone. It's this. It's called Finding the Power to Change. And this is something I think we all are looking for. Uh, according to Forbes.com, 80% of people who make New Year's resolutions ditch those New Year's resolutions by February. And so Forbes is saying, you know what? I think it's time that we officially label this annual ritual of making resolutions as an exercise in futility. In other words, we all just wasting our time. Like you want to change, but you don't change. But I think there is something to be said here that we want to change. People make New Year's resolutions because they're not happy with how life has been. There's changes that they desire, but for whatever reason, they can't seem to find the power to truly change. They set out to do it. They buy the gym membership. They get the Bible plan. I'm going to change this year. But then for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to happen. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in that season where you're trying to change and it just doesn't seem like it's happening, but you can sometimes become so desperate to change that you actually begin to cry out to God. Like, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I, I, and when you get to the end of yourself, that's a good place to be. I, I had this one guy I was talking to, and he was like, well, I know my life's falling apart, and I know it's horrible, but I don't want to be just one of those guys who calls on God only when it's bad. And I was like, well, why not? Just go ahead and call on them. Yeah, but I want to be better than that. I want to call on them when life's good. And I said, but you never have. And I don't think you ever will. And he was like, yeah, but I just don't want to be like one of those foxhole Christians that's only calling on God when times are bad. And I said, well, don't call on him if you're not wanting your life to change. He's not here just to take you out of the foxhole and the battle that you're in. He's here to actually change you. But in our desperation, it's good to call on the name of Jesus. About a week ago, or maybe just two weeks ago, on Monday Night Football, um, I don't, if you're a football fan, you're very familiar with the story, the Buffalo Bills were playing the Cincinnati Bengals. And uh, before the first half was over, there was an incident that took place on the field with the Bills' safety, DeMar Hamlin. He stood up after a tackle and fell down. Nobody knew exactly what was going on. TV's cut to a commercial, and we came back. There's medical personnel on the field. There's an ambulance that eventually came on the field. And we began to see these men beginning to cry. We saw star quarterbacks who are millionaires shedding tears. We saw coaches not sure what to do. We saw a panic among these people. And, and what happened was DeMar Hamlin had actually had a cardiac arrest, and he was being resuscitated on the field. And so these players are seeing their teammate, their friend, a guy in his early 20s being performed CPR on, which is not a pleasant experience. And they're witnessing this, and they don't know what to do. And none of them had the power to change the situation. They wanted to help their friend. They wanted to fix their friend. But they realized, I can't do it. They looked to their friends. Their friends couldn't do it. They looked to their coaches. Their coaches couldn't do it. They're looking at the medical personnel. They're hoping that the medical personnel can do something, but they don't know what to do. So what happened? Everybody dropped to their knee. I mean, there's been all sorts of stories about high school football coaches getting fired for praying with their team, but on Monday Night Football, nationally televised game, the coach 
brought his whole team around. They took a knee and they began to pray. People in the spectator stands, they began to pray because when you get to the end of yourself and you can't bring the change that you want to change and you don't know what to do, no matter what you believed, you begin to cry out to a higher power. Now, I don't know who they were praying to. (laughs) We can leave that out there. I don't know if they're praying to the universe to change the karma. I don't know what they were praying, but they were calling out for a higher power. And I believe that when we come to the end of ourselves, it is good to cry out to God. And here's why. Because God hears us. And God is so good. God is always willing to meet you where you're at. It doesn't matter what your past has been. It doesn't matter how many times you've screwed it up, how many second chances you've blown, no matter how many opportunities to do the right thing you did and it didn't happen, no matter how many people you've damaged and hurt, no matter what your past is, God is willing in his love to meet you right where you're at. But this is the most important thing. He meets you there in that place that you don't want to be And he loves you too much to leave you there. See, a lot of times when he shows up, we want him just to come and to change the situation. Just fix this mess that's around me. I don't want to move. Just fix what's around me. But God is less interested in changing your situation, and he's more interested in changing you. And this is what we miss so often. We call out to God to fix the situation, and God says, that's fine, I could do that, but that's not good for you. You're still messed up. You're still you. You're still the selfish person that got yourself into this situation. I don't want to change the circumstances around you. I want to change you so that you can walk out of this. I can lead you into new life. God is less concerned about changing your situation, and he's more concerned about changing you. So, so often we want to have a transaction with God. I've got a screwed up life. Oh, you promised to give me a new life. I'll give you my cruddy life. You give me your new life. We can wipe our hands clean. The deal's been made and then we can go on. But God's like, I'm not interested in making a deal with you. I will exchange your old life for your new life, but that means I have your new life. You're all mine. And we're going to do this together. Not that he is like this guy that you can go to and make a deal with, like a, a, a stock trader, that I'm going to go and make a deal over here and then I'm going to leave him. No, no, he's interested in relationship. We look for transactions. He's looking for transformation. He's looking to change us. And so often we don't like that. We just want to come and get what we want from God and then leave God there and go back to our world. But it never, ever works. God is less concerned about changing your situation. He's more concerned about changing you. We want religion. He wants relationship. We want transaction. He wants transformation. We really just want him to be Santa Claus and give us what we want. And he's actually wanting to be God in our life. Years ago, there was this Christian couple that had a daughter. And they were trying to raise their daughter to serve the Lord. They're trying to raise her in church. And she'd done the church camps and done all the things. But, but I don't know if you know this or not, but everybody has a free will. And they can choose to do what they want to do. And so this daughter decided, you know what? I'm not going to embrace my parents' faith. I'm not going to do that. And began to reject the faith that she'd grown up with. Rejected some things that she knew because she wanted to do what she wanted to do. So it wasn't long before she became sexually active with multiple partners. And she found herself pregnant um, as a high schooler and and quickly got married to the guy that she found out that she was pregnant by. And and it wasn't long before she was divorced. And and so then she ended up moving in with the, 
this other guy that she was hoping was the baby daddy that wasn't originally, but, but she just was continuing to do decision after decision and, and trying to find peace and this happiness and contentment in her life. And everything she tried, nothing was working. She's trying to find that joy. I have a child. Is that going to help fulfill me? I'm a, I'm a mother now. Uh, I, I, I'm with this person that loves me, and I love them. And is this going to work? Is this going to bring the contentment and the satisfaction and the joy that I long for? And, of course, her Christian parents are, are witnessing her life decisions. And her, her Christian parents are what you would be. They were sad. They were sad. The hopes and the dreams that they had for the daughter are are seeming to go out the window as she makes foolish decision after foolish decision. But, but, her, but her parents know this, that God's willing to meet people wherever they're at. And so guess what her parents did? Something that a lot of you may need to do with someone is they had a very uncomfortable conversation with their daughter. See, they knew that if their daughter would put their faith, her faith and trust in Jesus, that all the things that she longed for in life would actually come as a result of following Jesus. And so they had to have this conversation and say, listen, we love you, we care about you, we see that you're making a lot of foolish decisions, and because we love you, we want to let you know that what you need is Jesus. And so they had the conversation. It wasn't comfortable, but they did what they were supposed to do, and at the end of the conversation, do you know what the, the girl looked at her parents and said? She said, Mom, Dad, I want what you have. I, I want to have a marriage like you have. I want to have peace like you have in your life. I want to have joy like you have. But I think that there's another way to get it without going through God. And that was the end of the conversation. She wanted the things that God brought into her parents' relationship. She wanted the end result, but she did not want to go through the path to get it. And this is the concept I want to help us to get today is that sometimes there's the right thing, but we're going about it the wrong way. Sometimes we want the right thing. It's actually what God would want for you, but we're just trying to get it without God. It's like God's will, what he would want for you. I want what God would want for me, peace, joy, happiness, contentment, fulfillment in life, fruitfulness. I want those things. I just want to see if I can get them without God. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Uh, I, some of you guys know I'm like a visual learner, and I like graphs and diagrams. So welcome to a new one. Here we go. We're going to see if this works. On the screen here is me. This is my life. You could say, this is your life. This is you. And in our life, we have different compartments, different things that make us who we are, things that bring us joy, things that we fill our lives with. And, and so let's put some labels on those things. Some of the things that fill our lives are our family. Man, family's awesome. Don't you love your family? Man, it's a great thing. Every Thanksgiving, I'm so thankful for my family. I love my family. Um, I've got my friends, the people that I've ran with. I've got old friends. Nothing like old friends. They're great. There's new friends. I love friends. The social life I have, man, I, I love them. Hobbies, man, we all have different hobbies. Uh, I like to run. I might be the only guy in the room. My Uncle Ed loves to golf. You all have hobbies. You have things you like. Richard, he likes to play old video games from the 90s. Everybody's got something. There's secrets of all your hobbies. You love them. They're things you enjoy, you find fulfillment in. There's your career. There's a thing that you do to feel achievement and to feel success and to get some strokes and some pats on your back and like you accomplished something, you did something. Kind of connected to that's the money you have. Because then with the money, man, I like to buy things. I like to upgrade my car. I like to have the new phone. I like to have the new technology. I like when my bottom's warm in my car because of that one button. 
We like what we buy. We like all those things. And then there's exercise. You're like, well, I, I don't really have exercise in my circle. Well, maybe you should. But some people like exercise because I like to feel good about me. I like to look good naked. <laughs> right? Like, I don't want to be the guy who's got to turn the lights on before I get in bed. Like, I want to. Hey, exercise. It's about me. So there's all these things that make me who I am. They're my life, right? These are the things that, that actually serve me, and I, I like them, and they're good. But, but if you had this in your life, you find out eventually your life just isn't rolling very good. It, it's kind of like if you've ever had your tires out of balance on your car, and like the steering wheel starts to get that little vibration, and you're like, what is this? And it's like it's out of balance. There's something not right. It's not weighted well. It's not running smoothly. In fact, the vibrations are starting to cause there to be other issues. Like your vehicle and your life is going to need repair because it's not working right. And so you might have came to church or maybe somebody talked to you and they're like, you know, you've got all these things in your life, but you're missing something. And even in the first week of the new year, I, I did this message called The Old You, and I quoted this 17th century Frenchman named Blaise Pascal, and he said this, he says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And sometimes we hear this and we're like, oh, you're right. I'm missing something in my life. And so we go to this diagram. I have an empty spot in my life. There's something that is missing. I thought that I was fulfilled by all the things that I put in my life. I thought I had it, but what I'm missing is God. And so we insert God into that little space. And we say, now, oh, bring on the happiness. Bring on the joy. My life's going to be different because I didn't have God. And then I made space for God in my life. This is going to be great. And you might even begin to say, man, my life is different. I added God into my life. Oh, I didn't used to go to church, but I go to church now. I didn't ever open a Bible app, but now I look at the verse of the day. I never prayed before I ate, but now I pray before I eat. And you have things that change, but those changes are good. But let's be honest, those aren't the changes that God's trying to do in your life. Nothing wrong with those, but he has so much more for you. And the problem is this, is that what we did is we thought we just needed to make space for God in our life. And if he was in our life, then we would have it. The wheel would be balanced. We added the weight. But really what we did is we made a compartment for God and said, you can dwell in this space. Here's a box for you to live in. You come and you be in the God box. I'm still going to be in the center of my life. Everything is still going to revolve around me, and everything in the outside still serves the person who's in the middle. My family, I'm trying to lead because of what I get out of it and how I feel, and I don't want there to be conflict. And I want it to be good, so I want a good family because that makes me happy. I want to have more money because, well, why wouldn't I? And I want God in my life to give me what I can't get in any other way. And so God is here to serve me. But if we go back to the quote from Pascal, he said that there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart. Not just in somebody, in the heart, which means that the problem is we may have added God into our life to revolve around us, but what God wanted was to be at the heart of our life, which looks more like this. It's where I actually deny myself. 
and I step out of being in control, and I allow God to be in control. I actually give him my whole life. Now, with him in the center, he's not reg- just regulated to one little aspect, my Sunday mornings or my devotional time or when I think about him. No, no, no. Everything becomes about him. My, my family and my friends and the hobbies I do, I've given it all to him. And instead of those things existing to make me happy, they have all been transformed now to glorify God. And this is what it means to be a Christian. And we have this challenge, right? We think that this is being a Christian when really it's not. We just added God into a space in our life, a part, a segment, a compartment, but he wants our heart. Now, now this is where we're going to go a step deeper. We're going a layer deeper. This is where my concern is of losing the crowd. You're with me so far. You get it. The diagrams are there. What happens when you've inserted God into your life? Let's talk about that. Let's say that I'm in this picture on the left, that I thought that I I needed God, and so I put him in a spot in my life. Well, you end up going to church. You end up being around other Christians who actually have God in the center of their life. And do you know what you begin to notice about those people? That there are things in their life that I want in my life. Like, why is that Christian family, why is their family acting the way they are? Like, I inserted God into my life, but my family's not acting like their family. I want what their family life looks like. I want the product of what God's done in their family, in my life. I want to figure out how to do that. Or, or I like how those people who love God aren't worried about money. They're satisfied. They're content. They're not greedy. They're not stingy. They're actually generous, and they're giving people. I want that. And so when you try to emulate what the people of God have in their life, which has been a transformation of their heart, you try to do the right thing, but the wrong way. You try to do it through your power instead of the power of God. Does that make sense? The right thing, but done the wrong way. And here's what's interesting. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, Jesus says that you can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. In other words, you can determine whether or not somebody has got me at the center of their life or God at the center of their life by the way that they live. There will be a change when God is at the center. It will be different. And it's not different because they manufactured it and they changed their behavior and they were really self-willed and disciplined people. It was because something beyond the natural took place in their life. Something supernatural. Real Christians have real life change. And when others who don't know God, who still are at the center of their life, see God's transforming work in someone else's life, it's easy for them to become jealous and desire that same change, the right thing, in their life. But they cannot go about it the right way until God sits on the throne. A few weeks ago, I shared this, that Jesus and only Jesus can change who we are on the inside. Right? We can change the outside some. I can behave. I can change my behavior. But what I can't do is change my desires in my heart. Uh, some people struggle with pornography. It was a challenge that I had. And, and, and it was like, man, I, I, I want to look at this. And so I'd be like, man, I've got to be really self-disciplined. So like, I could remove everything that would be a trigger and every opportunity to look at it. But the problem was, was that there was still this desire in my heart to look at it. Even if I couldn't fulfill it, there's still a desire there. I want that desire not to be there. I can make myself behave on the outside all day long. That's fine. 
But until my heart's changed, there's really no transformation. And it's only a matter of time until my willpower gives out. Because my willpower is not that great. I mean, I think I'm the most disciplined person you may have ever met. But listen, it's going to fail at some point in time. On any given day, under right circumstances, the right pressures, I'm liable to do anything. And I have to be honest enough about that. And so I can't just rely on me changing me. Even if it's the right thing, I can't change me in my own power. It's the right thing, but it has to be done the right way. It has to be done because Jesus is changing me on the inside. And as he changes on the inside, it is reflected on the outside. We used to sing this song. I got Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. That is how we have change. The problem, though, is that we have a lot of people who are being religious. They're trying to change on the outside without addressing their heart. And Jesus didn't like this when his day. There was this group of Pharisees. And he was like, guys, you're doing like a really good job of cleaning up the outside of the cup. But what's on the inside has not been renewed. It's filthy. You're still driven by the wrong things. It looks good, but it's not right. The right thing, the wrong way. Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, you want to follow God, you want the life that God has for you, here's what you got to do. You got to deny yourself and take up your cross once? No. Daily. Every day. That means that following God and letting God be God in your life is not a one-time decision. Rather, it's a day after day after day decision. You could just say it's a today decision. Are you letting him be God today? Because every morning when I wake up, me's back in the center. And I have to deny myself, take up my cross, what I want to do, and follow him. So here's the big question of the day. Have you added God to the mix of your life? Or have you just given your life fully to him? They seem very similar, but they're radically different. Have I just added him into the mix of my life and he's just one more thing? Or no, I took all of my life, my hopes, my dreams, my aspirations, my past, who I am, and I gave it all to him. In Genesis chapter 12, we read about this crazy story about God initiating a relationship with a man named Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father Abraham, and I want to live, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. All right. That's for all the people who have been uh, brainwashed in church. There you go. That song lives on forever. So in Genesis chapter 12, we have Abraham, that guy that we just sung about. But at this point in time, Father Abraham, he had no sons. He was not Father Abraham. He was just old dude, barren, not making no babies, right? And God shows up to him and initiates this conversation with him. And in Genesis 12, 2, he says this. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you famous. All the millennials are like, that would be awesome. On Instagram and TikTok, I'll be famous. Good thing those weren't around in Abraham's day. I will bless you and make you famous. And and Abraham, you will be a blessing to others. And so God initiates this relationship. A few years later in Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, the Lord took Abraham outside and he said, listen, he said, look up to the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants 
you will have. And get this, this is pretty cool. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So, so let, let's, let's break this down. What God wanted to do is God wanted to make Abraham a dad. He was going to become the father of many. There was going to be more descendants in his line than he could even count. That was what God wanted to do. That was what we would call God's will. It's what he wants to do. God's will, you'd be a daddy. And guess what Abraham did? He said, you know what? Yes, I am all in for being a daddy. He embraced God's will. He was going to do what he knew God wanted. All right, so I'm going to become a father of many nations. And so he committed himself to God's will. I'm going to be a daddy. I'm going to become a father. Here's the problem, though. Abraham committed himself to God's will, becoming a dad, more than he committed himself to God. Well, isn't that the same thing? He said what he said. No, no. He embraced what God wanted to do in his life, but he didn't keep his focus on God. He was like, yes, I'm going to be a daddy. And here's what we find out. In Abraham's misguided zeal, he tried to fulfill God's will without God. He wanted the right thing, but he was going about it all the wrong way. He tried to become a father in his own effort instead of relying on God. He stayed in the center and tried to make it happen instead of trusting God to do it. He wanted the right thing just the wrong way. Now, his wife, Sarah, was old. And he was even older than her. She had been barren her entire life, never produced a child. And Abraham, he was about a decade older than her. So, so naturally, they felt like they needed to help God out. So Abraham and Sarah, what they did is they focused on accomplishing God's will. Abraham, we're going to make you a daddy. We're going to bring about this wonderful change in our lives. We're going to become parents. We're going to have lineage. We're going to have descendants. But, but they did this scheming and this dreaming without God. How can we do this? How can we make this happen? Now, as I was preparing for this, I thought about when my wife and I decided that we were going to try to have a baby. And my mind trying to have a baby meant one thing. And I was really excited about trying to have a baby. And I can only imagine that Abraham, being a man like me, probably felt the same way. Listen, hon, this is what God wants. Let's go. So when Abraham rolled up to his wife Sarah and said, how you doing? I think that she was surprised, to say the least, when Sarah said, Hey, Abe, how would you feel about sleeping with a younger woman? Now, I'm sure that Abraham's face was wondering, Is this a trick question? Is there a right answer? Is there a wrong answer? What do I do in this moment? And Sarah went on to say, Hey, here's what I think. I don't think my body's going to produce this baby. We've got to figure out how to make you a daddy. And so we have like this woman that works for us named Hagar. Here's my idea. How about you go sleep with her? She's way younger. She can produce babies. What do you think, Abe? Well, Abe didn't throw up any resistance. He was like, okay, (laughs) if you say so. And so Abraham ends up having a baby with Hagar. And Sarah thought, well, I'll just become like, She'll be the surrogate. I'll be the mother of the baby. We're just going to go through this other process that's not what God said, but we're going to try to do it. And, and as crazy as this is, Hagar actually conceived. 
like Abraham was still shooting good, she conceived, and she had a baby, and the name of the baby was Ishmael. And here's the problem with Ishmael. Ishmael was conceived through man's efforts, not God's. And I'll put this on the screen. Ishmael's conception was a reasonable alternative to faith. But Ishmael was not the child God promised. Ishmael was a counterfeit, and he would never be honored by God. It was the right thing, but, man, it was all the wrong way. And despite Abraham and Sarah's foolishness, and this is so crazy, this talks about who God is, God remained true to his original promise to Abraham, even though you guys were really dumb. I'm still going to fulfill my promise to make you into a great nation. And so it was 15 years later that Sarah conceived and gave birth to a son named Isaac. Now, Isaac, Isaac was the son of promise. Isaac was born because of the Spirit of God. Isaac was the change that God promised in their life. And we read in Galatians chapter 4.29, it says that Ishmael, which was the boy born of man's efforts, mocked and persecuted Isaac. He put down that which was of God. And verse 30 in Galatians chapter 4 goes on to say that the son of the bondwoman, the son of Hagar, shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. In other words, there is absolutely no substitute for God's work done God's way. You can't do it your way. There's no substitute for God's work done God's way. Whenever God's will What he wants becomes my goal, and I strive for that. That's Ishmael. I want to become more disciplined. I want to be more loving. All those things are good. God produces those in you, but if you try to get those in your own effort, that's Ishmael. That's not Isaac. That's not the work of God in your life. That's you. And so does God want you to be an alcoholic? The answer would be no. But just trying to clean up and become sober in your own effort is one thing, but allowing God to transform your heart and to address the issues of why you started drinking in the first place, totally different. Totally different. I can clean up. I can become sober. Good willpower, good accountability, good groups that I've gone through, recovery groups. But without God, I'm not really changed. And I continue to identify a lot of times over here, well, I'm just still an alcoholic. No, no, in God's kingdom, you're made new. You ain't that no more. You are a new creation. Don't call yourself what you're not anymore. Your identity has been changed by God. Does God want you to be greedy? No. But do I just try to become generous in my own efforts? I'm just going to start giving my stuff away. That'll help. That'll change my heart. Or do I say, God, change my heart? And the overflow of it become that I'm more generous, that I give. Right thing, wrong way. We have to have God do the change. We have to stop trying to do it in our own power. Right thing, wrong way. We're going to finish up Abraham's story here because some of you guys know at the end of the story that God actually has this test that he brings to Abraham. It's an interesting test. It's a weird thing. He says, here's what I want you to do, um, Abraham. I think think you get it. Ishmael wasn't what I wanted. Isaac's what I wanted. He's like, yes, I love my boy Isaac. He says, I'm afraid that Isaac's become too important to you. You got the change, but now you're almost worshiping the change. You're so thankful for what I did in your life that you forgot about me maybe again. Is your heart for me, God says, or is your heart on just what I've given you? And so here's the test. I want you to take your son, 
Isaac, and I want you to go up on top of that mountain, and I want you to kill him. What? This sounds wrong. But here's what Abraham did. Abraham took his son, his only son, and and this is pretty crazy. It, It says in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, that God instructed Abraham to take his only son up a mountain to sacrifice him. Abraham could have argued in this moment, but, but God, I, I actually have two sons. What about my other son, Ishmael? Isaac isn't my only son, but, but as far as God's concerned, take your only son, the only one that was supposed to be here. Take what I did in your life. Don't take what you did in your own effort. Take your only son. There's only one son. There's only one that's supposed to exist right now. Take that one, and I want you to take him up there. And, and, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to sacrifice him up there. So he took him up there. He bound his son, and he laid him on the altar that he built. And he took the knife and prepared to follow through with what this test was. Was he committed to God's will? Isaac, was he going to go through with it, or was he committed to trusting fully in God? And Abraham's actions as he raised that knife spoke louder than words. Because Abraham's actions said to God, God, you promised me, Isaac. I did not see how you could do it, and in my unbelief and my folly, I produced Ishmael. I committed myself to your will, and I thought that I was more competent than you, Father God. Now you tell me to slay my only son, Isaac, in whom you have promised that all the families of the earth will be blessed. But God, if I slay him, listen, I don't know how you can do it. But now, listen, I'm going to be more committed to you, God, than to your will. I'm going to be committed to you, God, exclusively. And if I have to slay him, then I will, even if you've got to raise him back from the dead. Because, God, I'm more committed to you than I am your will. Wow. Something changed in Abraham. He stopped pursuing God's will. He stopped pursuing the end result, and he pursued God. And he trusted that in God, there's hope in any situation. That God could do the miraculous and raise the dead. Had Abraham ever seen that happen before? Nope. But he thought, you know what? God can do anything. And I'm going to be on God's team, not just on what he's given me. And so here's my point. Ishmael's not Isaac, but Isaac's not God. And we've got to stay committed, not to Isaac, not to doing it just God's way, but actually committed to God himself. So church, if you have Ishmael, you're trying to live a Christian life in your own power. Stop. It will never bring fulfillment. It will never work. You will be at the end of yourself again crying out to God yet again. And you'll begin to believe, well, I cried out to God before. It just doesn't work. He doesn't care. No. You added God into a segment of your life, but you've got to give him all of it. Be willing to get rid of your Isaac. The change that God's done, don't fight to hang on to it. It's like I I talked to some people in the church a while ago, and they're like, yeah, we tithe. We give 10% of our money. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. And they're like, we're, we're afraid not to. Like, we trust God so much. We want him to have that. Like, we would feel like we're robbing God if we didn't have that. The focus isn't on having that money. The focus isn't on obeying this rule. It's that we trust God, and we believe God is caring for us as we tithe. Yeah, that's what we want. The focus and the goal is not the giving of the money. The focus and the goal is the trust in God. So let's wrap this up. I'm going to give you three points really fast that sum this message up. Number one, you cannot spiritually transform yourself. If you could, you'd have done it by now. 
Okay? You can't do it. Jesus needed to come and die on a cross so that you could be spiritually transformed. If you could do it on your own, his death was meaningless. You can't do it. Stop trying. You can't transform yourself. Number two, spiritual transformation is a work of God's Holy Spirit. You have to have God, the Holy Spirit, transforming you. Without him, there is no spiritual transformation. Behavior modification, changing what I behave, how I behave, that's the work of man. Spiritual transformation is a work of the Holy Spirit. When I just change my behavior, I'm trying to act like something. When God's Spirit changes me, I'm becoming something. Let's stop doing and start being. That's a work of God's Holy Spirit. And and number three, the extent of our transformation is determined by our cooperation. We can pump the brakes on what God's trying to do in our life. God's not just going to override you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants your heart to be his heart to desire the same things. And when your heart goes astray, he wants to bring your heart back, not just steamroll you into what he desires. No, no, cooperation. So as you give him permission to change you, he changes you. As you say, today I deny myself and I choose you, that's the extent of the spiritual transformation you will have. So how much of God do you want? Here's the final thing I'll say. God will take you as far as you let him. So if you're not happy with how far God's taken you, don't point a finger at him. He's good. It's you. God will take you as far as you let him. So will you let him transform you? The question of the day, I said it earlier, is have you added God to the mix of your life? Or have you given your life fully to him? We had the diagram. There's two sides to it. Which one are you? Which one are you? If today you say, you know what, I think that I'm guilty, Pastor Alex. I I think I'm that guy. I think I just made space for God, but I didn't really give him my whole life. I didn't surrender everything. I just wanted him to fix kind of the problems in my life. And so I made space for him, and it's really not been working. Well, then here's the prayer I want you to pray today. It's real simple. It's just going to be, God, I give you my life. That's it. God, I give you my life. And if you're not praying that, some of you may have prayed and given God your life, but like over time, you found yourself sitting back in the middle again and everything's become about you again. It's okay to pray the second prayer. God, I give you my life back. I took it. I know I said it at the altar. I know I said I gave it to you, but I took it back. Okay. Well, God, I give you my life back. So today the question is, if you want to pray one of those prayers, man, God's going to meet you right where you are. But he loves you too much to leave you there. And a transformation can take place in your life. So would you bow your heads and let's pray. God, you know where each of us are. God, you know if you're just in a compartment in our life. And God, you know if you have all of our life. God, I pray that everyone here would want you, Lord, to be at the center of their life, that everything revolves around you. And so, Lord, for those who are saying, you know what, I want to not have God in a compartment. I want him to be in the center of my life. Lord, would you hear them as they pray, God, I give you my life. And Lord, for those who've prayed that prayer in the past, maybe they've prayed it a hundred times but they continue to seem to try to do the right thing the wrong way. I pray, God, that you would hear them today as they say, God, I give you my life back. Lord, we want you to be glorified 
and for you to have your way in our life. It's not about me. It's all about you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being patient with us. And thank you for changing us from the inside out. We look forward to the transformation you will produce in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.